Listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Hey, good morning. While you're grabbing a seat, go ahead and take a Bible out of the seat bottom in front of you, or perhaps you've got your own Bible today. Uh, please pull that out and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is located towards the back of your New Testament. It's a letter from a man by the name of Paul to Timothy, inspired by God to Timothy while he's serving in a church in Ephesus. And so this letter is very much to us as well today as we begin this new series entitled Set Apart. Set Apart, what, what it is to be set apart. Some of you uh, cook a lot. And so you understand this concept of setting things apart. It took me a while to realize this, that some ingredients have to be put together in a certain order in order for things to turn out right. And so when I make homemade ice cream, which I, I make a small batch every week for me, sometimes about 10 o'clock at night, I, I can make just a half a batch. And it's just perfect for me to have three bowls and put a quart aside for myself uh, the next night. And so I learned that you have to take the sugar and the eggs and you beat those up and then you set them aside, you set them apart. You don't do anything else to it. You don't add the salt to that. You don't add cream to that. You don't add the milk to that. That all goes in another bowl, right? When we set something apart, it's not to be added to. It's certainly not to be defiled or messed up. Uh, used in the inappropriate way. And so this weekend, I want to talk to you about what it is for us, you and I as Christians, to be set apart and how these things that we already know in life, how they apply to our lives as believers. Before we dive into 1 Corinthians, I, I want to mention just a couple of people that are in the room today. Um, First of all, my bodyguard over here, uh, Earl. Earl, could you stand up? It wouldn't make a difference, would it? Yeah, Earl's, Earl's turned 51 today, so join, join me in celebrating Earl. <clears throat> Greg Day, I, I won't make Greg stand up, but I am so thrilled for Greg and Dave. He's finished his radiation treatments, and he has done stellar through the whole thing. Just awesome. And we are, uh, we're so excited for him. And of course, it's good to see Nancy. She moved off the back row this weekend. And she's been one of those back row people for the last uh, few weekends that she's been out. But today she has her favorite son, her favorite son, Brad, and his family. And uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Brad's not afraid to stand up. But I, the reason why I want to mention Brad is because Brad leaves again uh, tonight or tomorrow for Iraq. And so he will be there uh, through the month of March. And uh, I, I don't know how you do it, you know, being gone from your family, but it should make your marriage last a lot longer with you being gone uh, so much. But God bless you guys. And, and it's good to see you. It's good to see Bobby uh, here. I'm, I'm sorry I mentioned him being the favorite, right? Yeah, he is, isn't he? Yeah. I, they always joke with me about me being part of the family, but I only get called on when Brad's out of town. So I, I'm like number five, and there's only four in the family. When someone is set apart, though, we are kept for a special purpose, uh, a distinctions 
made. It's not to be diluted. It's not to be corrupted by anyone else. The second Corinthians chapter, chapter five, verse 16 describes the distinction of the believer, you and I, as set apart by telling us how we are set apart and why we're set apart. Scripture's on the screen. It reads, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Now, this is the how. Jesus Christ came into this world, right? He lived a sin-free life so that he would be the perfect sacrifice to take your sins and my sins on, that he could bear the brunt of our sin. And we see sin at its fullness and the effect that it has on our life with Jesus on the cross, right? Sin always leads to death. And so when Jesus Christ allowed himself to be placed on that cross, he took the punishment for your sins and mine. But not only did he die for our sins, on the third day he rose again, making him our Savior and also our Lord, the one who conquered death in the grave. And so this is how we are set apart. We die with him in Christian baptism. We rise with his spirit living inside of us. And we are reconciled through Christ with God. We continue in verse 17. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Not only that God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting men's sins against them, but he's committed to us that message. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We're his representative set apart as though God were making his example through us. Now, last night, I used an example of a student. Uh, this morning, Tariq, can I, can I ask you? Tariq, come on up here with me. It's, I'm, or I'm going to come out here and get you. All right? It's good to see you, man. I haven't gotten to say good morning to you. Huh? Yeah, don't, we'll just we stand right here. That way you don't have to look at these ugly mugs. They're very intimidating. When Tyreek gave his life to the Lord, he stepped up out of the crowd. Does that make sense? He stepped up out of the crowd and he made a profession. I believe Jesus is the Christ, right? The son of the living God and I accept him as savior and Lord of my life. And in that, he accepted the reconciliation that Jesus brought when he came to the cross and died for Tyreek for my sins, okay? And so he was baptized, he was raised to life. He was set apart uniquely. He then goes to the cross. And the cross today represents the cross that you and I are to take up. And so today, as one set apart, he carries his own cross. He takes up his cross. And what does that represent? It means that every day, Tyreek is still Tyreek, and Tyreek gets to make choices in his life just like you and I make choices. But as a Christ follower, he recognizes the significance of those choices in his ability to share that message of reconciliation. And so that cross is a reminder of that. But then I want you to notice Tyreek doesn't stay in the pool. He doesn't stay 
on the cross, but Tyreek goes back out into the world. He is not of the world, but he is in the world, right? There's something different about Tyreek. He still looks like Tyreek, but there's something different about him, and it's that something different. You can have a seat. Thank you, brother, for letting me do that. You're the only good-looking guy in the room, so... And so what does that mean? Well, that's where we get to in this book of 1 Timothy chapter 4. You and I, were very familiar with someone who is made an example of, right? right? How many of you in school were made an example of? You were in the wrong place at the wrong time, right? You were in the wrong crowd at the wrong time when the police came, right? So you, you were made an example of. Tony Elmore, she still often finds herself in that place. Read all about it on Facebook. She's right there. But when you're made an example of, it's usually because you've done something that's a little bit out of line. You've stood out for whatever reason. And so your situation is demonstrated to everyone else. And, and it said, look, don't do what Tony does. Because if you do what Tony does, this is what's going to happen to you, that, that's what it is to be made an example of. But you and I are called to something higher, a different standard, a purpose that calls us to no longer be made an example of, but to set an example. And right here in chapter four, verse 11, this is the instruction given to Timothy and to us today. Timothy's thought to be around 30 years old when he receives this letter from Paul. Now, when I was younger, I liked to view him as a teenager, but the reality is, is he's a little bit older. He's a young man at this point. He's serving in the church at Ephesus, and there were some leaders in that church who were becoming an example that wasn't representative of their salvation. In fact, those leaders, they, they were teaching false doctrine, false things. And it was influencing the church in a negative way, not to mention those who came seeking this new faith, this new freedom in Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes to Timothy to encourage him to turn things around, to preach the truth, and to get the church back on track, to set the example. And he begins in verse 11. He says, command and teach the truth. And then he gets to the point that we're looking at this weekend in verse 12 when he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I get there, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. An example, right, of a believer who is set apart for a specific purpose, that is preaching and, and teaching. Be diligent in these matters, Timothy. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do you will save both yourself and your hearers. Jot this down with me in your journal if you're using the outline there on the back of the program. As one who set apart, I am to set an example 
I'm to set an example, but we're to do so with authority. Now, that's a little bit different take, to do so with authority. Now, now we've all met that person who likes to tell us what to do with authority when in reality they have no authority to speak on the subject matter that they're speaking. When I thought about this, I thought about, oh goodness, 30 years ago, 35 years ago when I was working for the federal government. My boss, my boss's secretary, she'd been there for 100 years and she was that person. Every morning, and and those of you, you'll understand this terminology, she held court around her desk. You, You know what I'm talking about? She wasn't a judge, but you know, she had an opinion on everything. And so every morning, every morning, she'd have a lot of the women right there gathered around her desk, sometimes some of the guys, because, you know, if you're in good with the boss's secretary, you're in good with the boss. And so she'd hold court. Sometimes it was on the subject of child rearing. She would give this parental advice. You know, as a parent, you need to do this with your children. Oh, they smarted off to you. Well, have you popped them in the mouth? Yeah, have you done these things to correct them? And then she would switch from that subject, you know, more personal subject, she'd switch to the subject of leadership. Can you believe, can you believe the way Colbert led that particular operation, that particular task that he was given? He doesn't know what he's doing. If he had only done it this way and this way and this way, we would be so much better off. The results would have been so much Greater, And everybody's sitting there like, ooh, oh, yeah, you're right. But what's interesting is that she was neither a parent nor was she a leader. (laughs) Yet she frequently spoke with authority on these two subjects and more. I, I kind of view her as a representative of how the world often speaks to us today. When it comes to creation, when it comes to our sexuality, when it comes to how we should handle certain things, whether, whether we should gather or not when there's a virus going around. They, they act as if they're an authority when they have no authority on these things. Having been saved by Christ, set apart by God, given his spirit as our guide, equipped with the truth of God's word. You know who I'm describing? I'm describing you and me who have been set apart. Our lives are to speak with authority. Our lives are to speak as one who knows God, not just heard of God, but knows him. How do you know him? By living according to his commands, by proving his power in your life. It means that we know his word. It means that we live by his word. And when people see us, yes, they see me, but they see, they see something that commands something different because they see him in me. On your outline, I've given you a place where you can write down three areas of your life where you spend the most time. Now, sleep, sleeping's not one of them. You can't put that in, no matter how much time you spend sleeping. I, I love it when people ask me, the two people asked me this morning, you wear a sleep mask? Yes, I do. I, otherwise, I wouldn't have these big indentions all over my face and a, an extra part in my hair in the front. 
We spend a lot of time sleeping, but I want you to write down the other three places besides your bed where you spend the majority of your time. Now, my top three, if you need a little bit of help understanding context, my top three, number one, is at work. I'm privileged that my ministry is also my work. I get to spend, you know, one day a week working on Sunday. Where's your number one? Number two is with my family. I adjust my life. I actually get much less sleep than I should because I want to spend time with my, my wife's a night owl. I have to stay up till one o'clock in the morning to spend time with her. And then I have to get back up at six because I've got a job that I've got to get to and get done. Number three would be your home, right? That's the third place that I spend the majority of my time with you at the hospital, in your home, at, at your work, wherever it needs to be. If we were listing four things, Walmart would be next on my list. That's where I see most of you too. But next to those places, I want you to write down how much time you spend there. How many hours at work? How many hours at school? How many hours on your team with your family volunteering at the senior center? Walmart. You see, these are the areas, these are the places, these are the people that God has called you to set an example. He's called you to live a life set apart. And what Paul is commanding of Timothy and ultimately you and me is that our lives are to command obedience to God's word because our lives are in alignment with the truth of God's word. And that means that we have to know scripture. We have to know it. I'm not saying so you can quote it and, and be more pious than everyone else, but we have to know the God of the Bible. And the only way to know the God of the Bible is to know the truth of Scripture. It's great, it's great that some of you stay awake and listen to me. It's great that some of you get a half hour's rest. I'm okay with it either way. But don't just base your faith on me. Dig into God's Word. That's, that's why we preach from God's Word, so that you'll take it home and that you'll dig deeper. That means we, we have to believe we have to believe that God's word is inspired and without error. My friends, you, you can't believe that you're saved by faith and, and, then, and then not believe that God created the world and that he did it in six days and took a day of rest. Because if you doubt this, then how can you live in confidence in this? We have to believe that God's word is, is without, without error. Early in his letter, Paul spoke about his life, and he said, I know who I believe in. I know him, and I'm persuaded. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that, that which I've committed unto him against that day. What's that mean? We used to sing about it in in church back in the 60s and the 70s, I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What's the day? It's the day that your faith is put to the test. It's the day that you stand before him when he returns for you. The only way to have that confidence is to believe and to live in 
that. Jesus, I place my life in your hands. You're true to your word, and I'm confident in the truth of your word. Ultimately, we command and teach truth out of our abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you abide in me and I in you, you will do what? You will produce fruit. Your life will command the reality of my presence in it. In verse 12, Paul lists five categories, five areas of our living, our being, in which we're to set an example. Does that mean that we're limited to these five? Well, I think once you see these five, you'll understand that this covers every aspect of our life. And in those five categories, he predicates this list with these words. He says, don't let anyone look down on you. Don't let anyone, don't give them a reason to look down on you because you're young, but set an example in. Now, when I was a teen, it's much different than the way things are here at MCC, but when I was a teen, perhaps you grew up in a church like this, right? The middle school and the high school, we wanted them someplace else. They were usually in the basement. They were usually in the classroom. Big churches today, they put you off in another building, right? You have your own worship service. You have your own teaching. And what's that message saying? It's saying, you, you go over here, we'll do things over here. Well, well, in our church and in many of years growing up, we had teen weekend. And that was the one weekend out of the year that they would invite us in. And all the old people would put hearing plugs in their ears, Right? And mom and dad would show up for church and sit down on front and someone would be de designated to lead worship that weekend. They'd pull out the drums that had never been there in the weeks before, right? Because it's going to be teen weekend. It's different. And they would choose a teenager. I got chosen a couple of times. And what's the scripture that almost every teen pulls out when they're getting ready to deliver this sermon? Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And it's as if it was a directive to the church to say, you can't look down on me. I'm as good as you are. What I say in the name of God, in the name of Scripture, you've got to accept this. And we wore it almost like a badge. Now, does age have something to do with what Paul's saying? I suppose it does because he brings it up and he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Now, you can pontificate that and you can say, well, is that young in your faith? Does that mean 30 years or younger? What? I, it doesn't matter. What matters is, he says, set an example. Don't give them a reason to look at you different as if you don't know. Don't let anyone look down on you isn't a command to everyone else, my friends. It's a command to you. It's a command to me. And as followers of Christ, as individuals who have been set apart for a purpose, our lives are to set an example, not just when we're in this room, but in everyday living. We're to set an example in our appearance. I'm not talking about wearing skirts and wearing your hair all pinned up and then walking around with a frown on your face all the time thinking that you've done it right. It's not just about appearance, but set an example in appearance. Set an example in the things that you say and the things that you do. 
Set an example in your relationships. My goodness, a believer's relationship should look starkly different than the world's. Set an example in the things that are important to you and how you use your time. Paul speaks to five distinct areas of our life that pretty much covered all. Verse 12, you set an example in your speech. Set an example in your speech. When I worked for the government 30 years ago, I had a new boss every year. I think it's because he couldn't stand his secretary. And so you know, she's the same one holding court and she'd hold court on him and out he'd go. It was a retirement office, and so guys would come there to retire. They'd spend their last year, get their pension out the door, and so then the next one would come. And, and, and as someone who worked directly for the boss, I had to often write communications, write letters. We had all kinds of names for these things, memos, that would go out. And everything that left that office went out under his name, not, not the little guy's name, but went out under his name. And I very quickly learned that when I put together a communication, this is before computers, when I put together a communication, I'd attach a blue ink pen to it. One particular boss, he's former Marine, he loved blue ink. And the reason why we know do that is because every paper that we would turn into him, he would ink it all up, right? And he would change it. So I just attached a pen to mine. Here's you know, a fresh pen for you, go ahead and mark it up. Why did he mark it up? Because everything left that office was under his name and his authority. He didn't want it to sound like Dave Colbert. He wanted it to sound like it came from him. And so he would adjust all of those things. You know, some of us need to hand the blue pen to God every once in a while and let him clean up our language. Let him clean up our speech. Do you stand apart from the crowd in the language that you use? And I don't mean in a bad way. The skill that you apply to listening, yes, listening has a whole lot to do with speech. In matters at work, at home, at school, at Walmart, with the team. I went through a spell a couple weeks ago after Rick Allman died where I was just, it never affected me this way, I was just angry. I was angry at, at a lot of things. Not, not God. I don't get angry at God. God has not ever let me down. He's not ever not fulfilled a promise. But I was angry. That Saturday night, there were a couple of kids down here talking just like they always do, and I called them out right in the middle of the service. I got applause from adults, but I felt about this big inside because that, that's what kids do. But I was angry. The next day, we went down to Kanzai for lunch. We had 12.30 reservation. Walk in at 12.30, said, Colbert, ready to be seated. Well, is all your party here? I said, what's it matter? I got a reservation. Well, we can't seat you until all your party's here. My brother, he's always late. You know, I was hungry. I was thirsty. And I never do this, but I looked at this poor boy that was behind the counter, and I just leaned right into him. I said, I want a seat now, and I want you to go get the manager now. I made a, a butt out of myself. And, and Sarah's back there. If she'd had a rod and a staff, she would have hit me and then pulled me back, right? She was so mad at me, and I was so disappointed. Luckily, the disappointment didn't hit till later, and I was able to eat my lunch. But, but I was so disappointed 
I sure did not set an example in speech. Set an example in life. Some translations say conduct. Set, setting an example in life speaks to, to so many areas. How we handle money, how we handle our family, our friendships, our work, our, our personal appearance. You know, these Daisy Dukes that some of these girls wear these days, I mean, they're cute on some of them. Some of them, there's a lot of cottage cheese going on there. I'm just saying it, right? Either way, either way, it's not a good example. Well, I guess it is an example of what not to do, but... <laughs> and, and the things that we wear, right? Our life, our conduct is to do what? It's to glorify God, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Romans 12, 1, the message, it's, it, it's a paraphrase. It's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. But I love some, some of the ways that they put this together. It's a very famous passage, but it, in, in the message it says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, pretty much covers in life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture. Please don't do that. That you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. And readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. You know, Bigelow, we have such an awesome, awesome a young pastor for our youth. He, he's with about 65, 70 of those students and about 25 of our church family leaders up at Country Lake. They came here to worship last night, filled this room. They went up there. They had another time of teaching. They have having two times of teaching this morning and worship. They're going to spend the entire day together. But, you know, one of the things that he told me, you know, we, we have some young ladies at times because there's not any boys that are brave enough to get up here. But we have a lot of young ladies, and, and they wear these jeans now that are cut off, that have holes all over and pay extra for those. I got, a, I got a rip in mine the other day right here. I thought, finally, I got some of those fancy jeans I can wear to church. Sarah wouldn't let me wear them. But I'm, I, I came to him some time ago, and some of you had come to me. And so I went to him, and I said, David, we, we got to talk to these kids about some of their clothing. And he said, why? And I said, David, you know why. And no, I mean, besides that. He said, how about we let them be changed from the inside out? How about we not tell them, well, you've got to dress this way when you come to church, and you can dress this way when you're at school, you can dress this way when you're out in the world. And I said, you know what? I think you're right. Because isn't that how God has changed us? Doesn't mean we don't talk about these things and we don't say how important it is, but, but I've let some of you come to an understanding when you've done some pretty, pretty strange things out there at work and in the public, and, and I've not pulled you aside and embarrassed you, but yet over time you've come to it. That's the third place where to set an example, and that's in love. 
In those three places where you spend all of your time, how is your patience? You see, 1 Corinthians 13 isn't just something flowery. We read it at weddings. It's the definition of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not proud or boastful. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Yeah, we remember. But, but we don't pull out the list every time. That's not love. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment to love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. Christ loved us by giving his life for us. And his love should be evident. It should be commanding from our lives. I want that love. In faith, in faith. This simply speaks to how we respond to the difficulties, the trials, and the tests that come about in our life. You can come every Sunday and you can raise your hand in worship and you can have all these feel-good butterflies. But the minute that you leave here and you have an accident and you just curse the person, the minute you leave here and your family member is diagnosed with cancer and you just fall apart, the minute you leave here and the person that you love the most is is taken way too early. How do you respond to difficulties at school, at work, at home, on the ball field, those places you spend time? Do you worry? Do you quit? Does your faith match your belief? Because it should. Our faith should match our belief. And faith also applies to faithfulness. Our yes must mean yes. And our no must mean no. And, and that's where Paul takes us next when he says impurity. He's not just talking about sexual purity, even though that is very, very important. You've got to understand that, that Timothy is in, uh, he is in, I keep wanting to say Corinth because it was just as bad. He is in Ephesus when he receives this letter. And Ephesus, and the church in Ephesus was like being in the parking lot at Theater X in Clarksville. That, that's not the pride of Clarksville, by the way, like the billboard says. It's the armpit. It's the butthole of Clarksville. It, it's a blight. It's something that shouldn't, shouldn't be shown. It should be covered up with about 100 yards of dirt on top of it. But yet this church was sitting right in the, the parking lot. There was sexual immorality all around them. It was a cultural norm, pretty much like it is today. Sexual purity is important. And so is purity in other aspects of our set-apart life. You see, to set an example in purity is to not compromise our beliefs. We don't compromise these large denominations that are compromising their belief, they don't represent Christ. They don't represent the truth of his word. They're not being accommodating. They are going completely against the word of God. They are no longer pure. They're as bad as Theater X, frankly. Oh, they're a church. No, they're not. They've become something else. To set an example into purity means that we, we don't cheat. We don't get drunk. 
We don't use drugs. <laughs> We're going to Colorado in two weeks. My wife's <laughs> my wife says to me, you know what you need. You need a marijuana is what you need. <clears throat> That'll settle you down right now. Even when marijuana is made legal, in setting an example and being set apart, we don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't have gummies of marijuana. Now, for a medicinal purpose, your doctor prescribed you something that helps your joint or helps something, not that joint, but this joint, <laughs> right? You use it. But listen, even if it's legalized, why don't we use it? Because we don't want anything to control our behavior, to control our mind, other than the Spirit of God. Amen. He's all that we need. And so we don't go there because we've been set apart. We're different. We stand alone and we stand out because of it. We're uncorrupted and uncompromised. You know why we can't get a decent president in the United States, don't you? Because everyone has compromised themselves. There's so much dirt on every one of them. They wouldn't dare to step out into that light. And this all begins with our pure heart. 2 Corinthians 10.5 admonishes us to take our thoughts captive even and make them obedient to Christ. Because if we, if we make our thoughts obedient to Christ... Our actions will follow. So set an example in speech, life, love, faith, and purity. Paul continues in verse 13. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Don't neglect your gift. Now, does that negate all of the other things that he said to us because you're not a preacher? Absolutely not. Once again, who's the letter written to? It's written to Timothy, but it's also written to the church. And for Timothy, he's saying, hey, Timothy, your gift... And remember what a gift is. It is not a talent. It's a gift. A gift is something that the Holy Spirit gives you. Earlier in context or later in the context, he says, the gift that was given you by the laying on of hands, right? That, that's what happens when a person's set apart to preach. And so he's telling Timothy, listen, Timothy, you devote yourself to what you've been called to do, what you've been gifted to do. Don't neglect it. And so what's he saying to us? He's saying you be devoted in using the gift God's given you for the purpose that he's entrusted you. You see, you're set apart for a purpose. He's gifted you for a purpose. We want to simply focus on our talents, those things that come easy to us. But, but a gift is so much different. A gift can only be used by God's power and by his strength, the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, 6 says we all have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's generosity, praise God, let him be generous, right? Leadership, showing mercy. Paul ends this section. This is the part I've been waiting to get to the whole morning. And he says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. He's reminding us of the significant connection between our life 
and our beliefs. That's what doctrine is. Our life and our beliefs that we hold to. And, and watch, my friends, isn't just an observation. When someone, when we watch something, we guard that something. We're to guard our beliefs. We're to be certain of our beliefs. We're to own our beliefs in every aspect of living. That means we don't give up. We don't give in. We don't give ourselves away to any other. But instead, we persevere. We persevere. We continue in our course of action, even in the face of difficulty, even if there's little prospect of success. Why? Because our salvation rests on what we believe. Remember where we started when we step out of that crowd? The reason why we step out of that crowd is we believe in the one that we are surrendering our life to. And when we surrender our life to him and he raises us up with the power of his Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, we are set apart. And so we die to ourselves a little bit more each day so that when we're back out into the world, we can persevere and our lives will command, command the belief in Jesus Christ. And this is what it is to set an example we are to persevere as if our life and someone else's life depends on us because it does. Because it does. Anyone ever meet an ambassador? Uh, anybody ever have that privilege? I, I mean, those people are kind of hard to get to. But, but, but an ambassador is that person that's set apart by the president to represent the president in the United States in a foreign country. We, we've got them in Iraq. We've got them in Belize. We've got them in Afghanistan. We've got them in the Dominican. An ambassador represents the United States. And so when someone, when someone is in danger and on foreign soil, where can they turn? Whether they're an American citizen or not, they can turn to the ambassador to that country from the United States. And that ambassador can give them, grant them the process of asylum. They can guarantee a certain level of safety for that person. Now, we think about ambassadors in that political context, but do we think about that in this biblical context? Remember the passage in Corinthians? We were set apart. It's as if Christ is making his appeal through us. We are his ambassadors. And so what does that mean? What's Paul say? That we're to persevere so that our hearers, uh, those around us might be saved. Well, well, it's because there are people in this world who are facing imminent, eternal danger. Some people in this world right here in the United States who have hit rock bottom. Some of you have been there. Who do they turn to? Well, they turn to the one who can guarantee their safety. They turn to the one who can grant them citizenship in the eternal kingdom. They come to you and to me. They step out of the crowd <laughs> They profess their belief in the one who can save them. They're baptized into him and receive his spirit. That's the significance of what it is to, 
be set apart and to set an example. And so my question to you this weekend is how seriously are you taking this? Because for someone, and it might be someone in your own family, it's as serious as life and death eternal. For some of us in this room, we have yet to step out to the one who sets us apart. And so what that means to you this weekend is that you are in danger. Your life is in peril. You are not a citizen of heaven and of his kingdom. And so you need to seek not just asylum, you need to seek citizenship with him. You need to step out. You need to surrender your life. You need to receive his spirit. You need to take up your cross and let him transform you from the inside out. That's the plea. How will you respond? Right now, you're surrounded by ambassadors. <laughs> You've got ambassadors that are ambassadors to Ford, to various healthcare institutions. Verizon Wireless has an ambassador in it. Not an ambassador of Verizon Wireless, but an ambassador of Christ. Our teachers that are in our schools that are of Christ, our ambassadors in our school, our students who are in Christ, are they're all around you. Why don't you surrender today? Why don't you come home? Let's stand and let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for setting us apart. So, sometimes, Father, I think we view it as some kind of a, a dread, some kind of a terrible task that we've got to be different than everybody else. My God, what a privilege it is to be different, to stand apart, to represent you, to be your ambassador. God, there's no one, there's nothing greater to yield our life to than to you. And so, Father, today in this room, there are certainly those who need you. And I, and I pray that they would turn to you now and that they would come to you and surrender to you. There are those in this room, Lord, that have been ambassadors for quite a while, but, but perhaps didn't have any idea the authority with which they are to live and to lead. And so, Father, I pray that you would gird them up, that you would remind them of the gift that's been placed in them, that, Father, they would be the light, the city on the hill and the places that they work and the places that they live and spend their time, especially, Lord, in their home, with their family. Lord, may your presence be very real. And may, Father, our presence with you be just as real as we walk with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to come, if you'd like to talk about your next step, I'll be right here.